1: How to Find Hope After Unimaginable Loss. And no, it's not about Harry and Meghan, although they have had (laughs) unimaginable loss. actually not as serious, however, as my guests today, but um, in their minds, perhaps it is. Uh, Montecito, California is in the news because of Harry and Meghan, but it's been in the news before that, particularly in 2018, um, well, 2018 were the wildfires and um, and then soon after were the mudslides. So, um, yes. So uh, that created obviously uh, a lot of natural disasters and affected a lot of people. And my guest today, Kim Canton, is the author of a book called Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, a true story of hope through unimaginable loss. And this is her story, uh, a, a really shocking uh, ch- tragedy, but she has made um, flowers out of out of the, the devastating hillside that once was her home. So um, welcome to the show, Kim.
2: Thank you, Dr. Carroll. It's nice to be
1: here. Let me just give you a little um, inf- background for Kim, but I really want to let her... Tell her own story. Um, I'll just say that, in a sense, her story began at age 11 when she lived in Canada and had um, to deal with the Canadian snow, deep Canadian snow. And then she moved to Southern California, Montecito. And, um, it, you know, it was a big adaptation. And the things that she learned during this move. Helped her to get through the tragedy that she uh, sustained through the natural disaster. But of course, you know, uh, moving to another town, even though it's, snow is the beach of, of California is quite different than Canadian snow, um, still is no, no it helped her, but it was no, um, nothing compared to what she had to go through after the wildfires and the mudslides and the loss in her family. So welcome to the show, Kim. I'll just let you—you know—it's better—it's better coming out of okay. you than my trying to paraphrase your story. Um, other than to say that that Kim was a professional before this tragedy happened, um, she had a 20-year career in sales and marketing leadership in me- med- in medical devices. She worked for a Fortune 500 company. Um, she met her husband Dave when she was um, involved in that. Then she started her own successful marketing consulting form, firm um, and she was the director, senior director of marketing for Teleflex Urology. I mean, she she's had a very professional, hardworking, <laughs> busy career before this tragedy struck. So take mm-hmm. it away.
2: Okay. So um, first I'll just kind of cover what happened, right? So there was the, um, in December of 2017, um, there was a fire that broke out called the Thomas Fire, and it was in Ventura, and um, it was roaring at a pretty great pace, and there were about three uh, fire evacuations, because um, with the winds blowing, it was heading more toward Montecito, and I remember my husband had been on some business trips, and we looked out the front window and um, and he was getting ready to go to europe again and he says ken there's no way it's going to get here but if it does go to your friend's house and um so we were pretty you know fatigued with the fire evacuations it was a christmas like no other holidays with no other because everything was closed with stores being closed restaurants closed people were gone out of the town there was ash covering everything when you got back packages for the holidays weren't delivered you had tape over your, um, mailbox, um, during the evacuation time. And then, um, we got back probably, I think it was on December 23rd and said, okay, we're back. We're here amongst all the ash around the yard and in the kitchen cabinets, but we're going to, you know, our house didn't burn down. The firemen did heroic efforts to save the homes and, um, Then in the, um, little over the first week of January, um, they were predicting some heavier rain and we always, um, were watching the news and the aware and be aware and beware um, alerts on our phone that were linked. So if anything, if there's more evacuations or whatever, we would be, uh, set for that. And, um, you know, we knew it was going to be heavy rains. We put out some sandbags. We kept watching the news. And um, I'd gotten a hotel in case it got heavy rain. We could we could go there. Um, but, um, you know, we went to bed on January 8th. And early in the morning of January 9th, um, at about, you know, 3 in the morning, we woke up with heavy rain. We yelled to the kids, hey, we're going to get out. Uh, my husband went to check on the, the yard and said, it's really coming down, there's you know some water in our, our garage already. And um, before we could make it out, um, the water um, roared in and it really obliterated our house with our family in it.
1: Like, um, it was one, a- like one sheet of rain or a few sheets of rain? Um, it was really a um, unusual
2: heavy downpour, but if you can imagine the hillsides had been burned. So there was no foliage. So there was boulders and debris up there that weren't being um, held securely to the ground. So it was a perfect storm that when we got that much intense rain over a short period to uh, a mountainside that was having no foliage, um, a piece of the mountain came down and um, debris was coming down. Big, massive hundred, hundred year old trees were coming down. Boulders the size of cars were coming down. Roaring down in the creek and across our lane, um, across a couple houses, um, there was the creek and there was a, a, a turn in the creek. And what I think happened is it was getting so jammed up, it couldn't make the turn. And so a neighbor saw what we didn't see because we were in the house. A 30-foot wave of mud and debris came crashing down our house and we were one of the epicenters of the tragedy. And it just, it
1: gone. Wow. Okay. So were you, at that point, you were outside? No, we were in the house. We
2: were all in different places in the house. We were trying to get, you know, I was, I was grabbing the dog leash to get the dog to run outside. My son was probably running to get his clothes on. Cause he, cause you know, he, he didn't, ha- he was in his pajamas. My daughter was running to get her rain boots. My husband had, had opened the door and had seen it and ran outside. And, um, he was telling us all get out back. He didn't, he, he, I don't think he understood the magnitude of really what was happening.
1: Uh huh. So then what happened? So,
2: I mean, my book covers a lot of this stuff. It goes into all the detail, but, um, we were all in different places and I went under the mud and I was found about 200 yards or two football fields, um, away from where I was in my house. Um, Hours later, on a debris pile, Um, my daughter washed away about 100 yards and was buried alive under about 20 feet of mud, a car, electrical transformer, um, a toolbox from a big truck. Um, And she was buried alive there for about six to eight hours until they got her out. And my husband and son washed away to their death. Uh, My husband was found about a mile and a half away and on the beach in a debris pile. And my son, who was 17, um, he became one of the missing. There's two missing, uh, 23 people died that night and two of them, a two-year-old baby girl, Lydia, and my son, a 17, Jack. um, They didn't have luck, you know, immediately finding, finding them. And so they were kind of quote unquote, the, the missing. So 20, 21 dead. And, two others presumed dead, but, but not recovered.
1: Well, what was that like when you were swept away? Were you, was like mud in your mouth? How did you breathe in this? I mud? didn't. I was under the water and
2: I thought I was gonna die and I took my last breath and it was mud, not air. And I thought I was done. And um, I just surrendered to God at that time. But if this is my time, take me. And I think that was the wisest thing I ever did because I ragdolled and I'm a type A person. Um, and I think by ragdolling and just surrendering, I just kind of went with the flow and somehow survived. Um, so it was pretty brutal, but I think it was a fast-moving flow. And I, by the grace of God, I ended up on a debris pile um, kind of in a in – a, um, my feet were um, toward, you know, more toward the sky. And I was probably at a 30 to 40-degree angle with my head facing down, so that probably helped clear my lungs. Um, and then I woke up. I was unconscious, I'm sure. Um, and then I kind of came to, I think, on the debris pile. And,
1: and then what did you do?
2: I mean, did well, you- I yelled. I yelled for my my family. <laughs> yeah. uh, I checked out my body, seeing what was there of it still. Um, I prayed. I said the Lord's Prayer. And uh, there was no one around. I was terrified uh i knew i had to conserve as much energy as i could i was getting hypothermic and um so i just tried to calm myself and and, um then maybe a couple hours later i mean i was not too good at the timing uh i saw a red white uh, a red and a white light in the distance kind of like an ambulance but it wasn't rotating but I knew that someone was there because I had yelled, help, help, help. And it was just like a war zone. Um, but as soon as I did that, once I saw the, the, the lights from this vehicle, um, my rescuer came to, to says, we hear you. We're coming to get you.
1: Wow. That must have been. Were you So you weren't able to. You were able to move a little to feel your body parts, but you weren't able to move to like get yourself out of the pile.
2: Oh, no, no. I was trapped in the pile. My, my left leg was trapped. I think I had a broken hip. I had a major laceration on my um, right leg. I had a major laceration on my right arm. Um, I was, um, I had been so, um, so injured. I mean, I could I could barely move. Like, I think I could move my one hand a little bit, my one arm a little bit. Um, But, yeah, I just couldn't. I was just, I was really injured.
1: That must have been such a terrifying feeling. It's almost like being buried alive. I mean, did you think of that? Did it feel like, did you think to yourself, this must be what it feels like to be buried alive?
2: If what I thought was, this is what it's like to be in Armageddon. Uh It's, um it was it was like a war zone and it was terrifying. Electrical transformers exploding to my right. Um and, and wires you could see the explosion and then to my left I could hear the roaring river. So I knew if I moved, thank God I was trapped. If I moved, I wouldn't want to drown in that river of water that was still flowing or get electrocuted. So yeah, it was it was it was nothing that um I mean, Hollywood would would have to do a really good job with special effects to to, um, show what it was like.
1: Uh Uh-huh. And plus, of course, you were worrying about where your family members were. Of course. So, okay. So then you were rescued. And then what happened?
2: So I was brought to the hospital. And then um, I was probably there two hours. They were trying to, you know, assess me, clean me off, all that stuff. And, you know, you got to imagine the hospital is just all these people were coming in. I mean, it was a 30 square mile area that got hit. And there were 150 people that were injured, I think. I think 400 homes were washed away. Like it was a major deal. Um, And then a door opened and they said, um, do you have a daughter named Lauren? And I said, yes. And they said, they just rescued her. And my whole shoulders and body just relaxed. It was just... Thank God. And then I just went to thinking, where's where are my husband and where's my son?
1: Oh, God, what torture. Yeah. Um, so then how did you get reunited with your daughter?
2: We were in different hospitals. Um, there were so many people going. They took me, and I was, I was more recognizable than I think others. So they took me to a little bit further away hospital that was about 20 minutes away, 15 minutes away. And she was at the nearby hospital. So we were not even in the same hospital, but we, we connected over um, the phone and FaceTime. Um, I, the person who was with me kind of put a scarf around my head and tried to put on some lipstick so I didn't look as frightening to her when she first saw me um, in the hospital. So we talked, on. I think it was our first one we talked on the phone is what I think we did and just told each other we loved each other.
1: And how, what kind of injuries did she have? She um, had, I think, a fractured
2: pelvis or bruised pelvis, a broken rib, um, scrapes all over her body. I think she had a few other things. She miraculously kind of walked away from this thing. Um, that's just amazing. I mean, she she was in the hospital a few days, but, you know, she didn't require surgery. She didn't lose a limb, you know, all that stuff.
1: Uh-huh. And she was... She was also buried. She was buried alive under 20 feet of mud
2: and she was fully conscious the whole time. And she was buried alive for probably six hours, it took them two hours to, um, to rescue her or to get her out because there was a gas main leak and they couldn't use power tools. So they had to do it um, carefully by hand. Um, so she,
1: they heard her, was she was shouting and that's have-
2: she was screaming. She was screaming. And, um, Ben, the firefighter, um, thought he heard something. And it was hard to hear because there was a gas leak and it was making noise. Um, and they, there was this pile and they couldn't believe someone could be even alive in that pile because um, they thought every crevice would be filled up with mud and debris. And then they brought over Andy and he said, yeah, I, I hear it too. And then they said, we hear you. And uh, they started to go to work to help her get out.
1: Oh Wow. I'm getting chills just listening to your story. Ah, uh, and then what happened? How, you know, how did you uh, find out about your husband? And then, I mean, I know you organized. Yeah,
2: it's, I mean, yeah. So it's, you know, the, the the sheriff came in and told me the next day, you know, and my dog had
1: passed away. So we were notified then,
2: you know, of the tragic news.
1: Hmm. And so what about your son? What did you, how did you um, hear about that? And how, I know you went through a whole big um, search yeah, Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so, so you know, they kept coming in like, hey, where was Jack in the house? Could he have gone outside? Because they were really trying hard to find him. And, um, you know, they were looking for these two kids, you know, just, they went in dogs. They did like 2,000 dog hours searching. and The problem is it was so hard to search then, right? Because it, so, it was so wet and dogs, if it's too wet, the dogs can't go on certain piles. It's like quicksand. It's too dangerous and they won't get the smell. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just really complicated. And then um, you know, I was in the hospital I think about three weeks and I had to learn to walk again and um as I kind of came out of that fog of, you know, my body coming alive again and, you know, getting through, you know, two memorials, um, or a funeral and a memorial. We couldn't call Jack's a funeral at the time. Um I wanted to find out what was going on in the search. And I basically found out, you know, they kind of wrapped it up Super Bowl Sunday and thought that, you know, let's just say that he went to the ocean, you know, they kept the search open, but there wasn't active work. And um, so I said, you know what, if someone's going to lead the charge, it's going to be me and uh, I need to be involved in this. And so I started um with a core group of people and there's so many gracious people in town a general contractor the bucket brigade um people were so trying to help everyone wanted these these kids became the community's kids they want everyone it went, you know with anyone's missing it's terrible i think with a child it just is just so heart-wrenching you know it's against the natural order um, and so kind of went out with a sacred search team and the search search dog and the search dog handler. And we went out for about three years looking and wow. then we brought in, we brought in science and we tried to we brought in the canine search dogs and some historical remains dogs. We did all that. We brought in a ground penetrating radar wow. trying to get scientific. And then we, we, uh, connected with, um, an anthropologist at, um, a major university nearby and um, she was gracious enough to come out and with students. And she's like, gosh, this is great. This is a meaningful project and my students can learn here 20 minutes away from home versus us putting them on a plane to, to Egypt or to Peru or whatever to do archeological digs. And so um, they kind of took over and did their science and, and I kind of took more of a back seat then. I think I was, um, healing and my grief through the search. Um, and um, I was less attached to the final outcome. I really wanted his remains found because to think of him in a debris pile was unacceptable or to think of him hauled away was horrible. And so um, then I think it was like May of 2021, um, the professor called and said, I think we found some bone. And so then we... You know, I called the sheriff right away and made sure what's the protocol. And we just followed that protocol. And and so it was just a a big journey from, you know, being a, a family of four and, you know, and trying to enjoy Christmas on 2017 to an unexpected, massive mudslide that obliterated my family in half and our home and everything we owned to a search for miss two missing kids because we always look for lydia as well as jack um so yeah it's been a pretty unusual wait, 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 four for, years for nydia lydia lydia is a little girl who's missing She was a uh-huh. two-year-old oh uh-huh
1: um you also didn't you go through a um not a fortune teller but you went uh, a seer
2: you know what it's interesting um yeah there were some intuitives that um offered to help. And, you know, I didn't really have much exposure with that in my, my life before. I mean, I was busy raising kids. I was working in the corporate realm. I was working with scientists and some of the top surgeons around the world. And so that's a more rational, scientific, precise world than intuitive. So I, I never, you know, thought anything negative of it, but it just wasn't familiar to me. Um, and then by happenstance, I happened to meet some intuitives and, and there were people who were just trying to help. They were, they were trying on their own to find these missing kids because it was such a tragic story. And, um, I was really cautious. I really only worked with the people who, who wouldn't charge me. And it's not that I couldn't pay them is I wanted to check their intent. This is about missing children. Mm -hmm. And if you can use your talents for good to find missing children, then do so. And um, I was fortunate that um, I had a, you know, some people that really tried to help with some clues, and, and you know, I don't think any one thing helped, but I think the mixture of the intuitive clues, uh, I think, did help us. They kept leading us back to the same area. Um, the science, the ground-penetrating radar, the anthropology team, archeological dig, the science that they use there with their special gamma ray and laser guns and all the stuff they did there. Um, I don't think any one thing made the difference, but I think it was a combination of everything that, that somehow let us find some of our needle in the haystack.
1: Now This, this, the, this was a team from UC Santa Barbara uh, mm-hmm. who provided the archaeological. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can remember being in an airport. I don't remember which airport. But um, at the time of the mud floods, and um, there were, a, there was a group of people who lived in Montecito, and they had just mm. heard uh, about what was happening, and they were freaking out, of course, and, um, you know, and I was listening because I live near there, and, um, but it, it's, you know, they didn't clearly, now that hearing your story, clearly they didn't have Uh, or they weren't getting at the time, um, the full story, the magnitude of it. uh, But it was frightening enough, even what they were being able to hear. Um, But, you know, it's like you remember where you were when this was happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So how, so, and and tell us about your daughter. Um, How, what was, how was, what was she going through psychologically? I mean, this must have been. I mean it was horrendous for both of you but um you at least had your uh, as you talk about you had your had gotten some um experience already you know dealing with not catastrophes but um sort of braving certain odds and so on what was it like for her
2: well she had it harder than anyone she was fully conscious and she was buried alive and she would push on the walls of her entombment and it wouldn't budge So she didn't know she was dead. And she actually, in my book, she actually tells her full account of exactly how she felt and what happened. Um, She's the strongest person I know. Um, Sure, there's trauma. And she's the strongest person I know. She's working through it. She's engaged. And she um, worked to sing afterwards. She's a singer and and she says when she's singing, she really fe- feels her feet on the ground, and it's really um, healing for her. So she was able to sing after the mudslide. There's there's um, some pretty strong talent in Santa Barbara, and Kenny Loggins came to sing with her. Um, she sang with David Foster at the Kick Ash Bash, Katy Perry, um, Brad Paisley at the concert, um, Ellen, and was she-, she was 14. Wow! Well, yeah, she sang on Ellen. Yeah. Um, she ever- She's pretty, pretty amazing. And I think that singing helped to ground her and it also distracted her probably a bit from everything going on. Um, And she's just working through it and just dedicated to, you know, trauma can do some pretty dramatic things to your, to your nervous system and to your, your physical body. Like the book, the body keeps the score and, and she's, you know, she's actively working to resolve and work through that stuff. So I'm just, again, I think she's the strongest person I know on the planet. So did she continue in school? Or? Yeah, she's a, Stan- she's a Stanford student. So she does pretty hmm. well. What is she majoring in? You know, what? what's nice about that school is they don't make them decide right away. Oh. Um, so she's exploring that, but she's kind of heading towards psychology, which I'm not surprised because she's <laughs> just so intrigued with it all. But, um, you know, and I kind of, I'm rooting for singing, <laughs> but whatever she wants to do.
1: Well, she'd be a great trauma therapist, you know, she'd be able to,
2: uh, sure she would. She knows what it's like. Yeah. She can put some purpose behind what happened. That'd be great.
1: Um, so now getting back to you, um, how, what, is, what are the things, you know, the, the, your book again, um, is called um, a, 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 Where flower, where Yellow Flowers Bloom, A True Story of Hope Through Unimaginable Loss. Mm-hmm. So what are the things, how did you get, this is all about your healing and so on, and you're trying with the book to help other people um, get through their tragedies. So what did you do to survive this? I mean, you survived physically, um, but then mm-hmm. what did you do after that? Yeah, Dr.
2: a good question. So, what I did to survive is I realized that I had never been through something like this before in my life, obviously. And I said to my daughter, "I said we've never been through this, and we're going to have to invest in our in in support." So, I went, you know, to grief counseling. Um, went the hospital had set up a program for the mudslide survivors. Um, went to trauma therapy called EMDR. Um, I really, really invested in. My emotional healing, mental and emotional um, healing, um, you know. And I, I wasn't going back to work. You know, I had to physically heal, and my job was to stabilize and rebuild a life because we had nothing. I didn't have a, I didn't have a toilet plunger. I didn't have a hairbrush. I had nothing. I had no ID. Yeah. Um, I had no birth certificate. I had n- everything washed away, and so I had to. Do all the administrative to start building back a life, um, getting a couch again, getting a bed, you know, all that stuff. Where did you move uh,
1: to? Did you rent? And- oh,
2: not not in them? not in um, not in Montecito. Lauren didn't want to go back there, but I'm just you know not too far away in Santa Barbara, in a place
1: where she feels a little safer. But but I mean, did you rent an apartment or rent a house or did you buy something? I bought something. We, we rented it first and then and then um, bought a house. Uh huh. You know, in a neighborhood that you thought was more um, safe, less where there could be less, um, where less- the
2: mountain wasn't denatured above. Uh huh.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that is like building up your life from the very beginning. I mean, even like not having an ID and oh uh, nothing, nothing, and nothing. and having to do all of this while you're so traumatized and injured. Yeah, I, I was
2: on a walker. Yeah, it was it was um a surreal time, but what got me through it is my friends in this community. This I mean my friends just you know, three women went to a, in the the local Chico store and says, Does Kim shop here? And they said, yeah, Let's take a look on the computer. Yeah, let's rebuy everything she bought last year. Right? Oh, wow. so th- and they brought it to me. Or they would say, I found this in my closet. Can you use this? Um, um there was so much support from from this community. Strangers I didn't know were supportive. Um, it was that was a massive part of the healing process. Is I felt nurtured by the support of the Santa Barbara community, which is so unique and special. Um, I think it's the size of it helps make it. But there's just there's a compassion here that's really really lovely. Um, you know, a locksmith who came to relock my doors. I went to pay him and he says, I'm not charging you. You've lost too much. And and so he was using his skill, whatever his natural talent was, his was doing locksmithing and for good, right? He used it for good. There was a masseuse who emailed the, the mudslide victims and said, for anyone injured, I'll do free massage for you guys. So there was this generosity of spirit that came out and that was so tremendously, I felt cared for. I mean, this town they get me. They get the the rest of us that that um, suffered so much.
1: Huh. Hmm. Do you have? Is there like a um, a group of? I don't know what, what you, survivors. A group of um, of Montecito flood or disaster survivors that you get together. A support group.
2: There had been, you know, just uh, the hospital had set up a. Um, a group just for anyone impacted by the mudslide. It could have been a chef at a at a someone's home, and the home washed away. Right, and the chef's saying, "I'm out of I'm out of work." Um, and then then it, then there's the people that like me that lost people, and so it's kind of uh, it was so so valuable. The hospital did obviously great medical care, but they also did setting up these programs for emotional care. And um, yeah, it did kind of evolve. Some of the people that um, had more of an impact than losing their job um, from the mudslide. Um, we're, we're a pretty tight knit group. You know, we just, we care about each other so much. We get each other, we get what happened. Well, that's
1: really important. Um, so what kind of, have you gone back to any kind of work since then or? You know, no, I, I you know, um, there's, it's been so much
2: to create a life that was obliterated completely in one night um, takes time. And uh, I wanted to really be a present mom for my daughter. In my prior job, I would travel, and I just knew I couldn't. I had to be here for her, and I wanted to be here for her. Um, and so my job was, was stabilizing for her and and being her mom. And uh, during COVID, then I just started writing the book because we all had a little bit more time on our hands, locked in our houses. And um, so kind of I've shifted into that. And you know, I don't know what's going to happen next. I might do some speaking. You know, people have asked me to speak on this. Uh-huh. Um, I just hope, look, you, you want to, what is it, Frankel's book, The Purpose of Life, whatever his book, I forget his name. Frankel's the author. He says you got to put, find purpose behind what happened. And so I hope, I, you know, by writing my book, I hope that puts some purpose. I hope it, I hope it lands in the hands of people who could maybe need it the most to benefit from, um, and, um, you know, see how my life transpires from there.
1: Now, um, how, how did you choose, again, the name of the book is Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, A True Story of Hope Through Unimaginable Loss. Let me guess, did, um. Did yellow flowers grow on the land that was once your house? Close. You're very close, Dr. Carroll.
2: Actually, I credit my daughter for that uh, title um, because we were just talking about things. And actually, the pile for which some of Jack's, what we believe are Jack's, bones were found on um, this soil, right? Like, think about all these homes, 150 homes washed away. And that means the garage was washed away with the paint in the garage and the bug killer in the garage and all this yucky, toxic stuff. And so the soil had arsenic and it was a chemical soup. You wouldn't think anything could live in there. And what graced the pile were beautiful yellow flowers. And um, one of the students, um, she was kind enough to clip some from me for me and put them in a vase. And she said, life found a way. And I said, no, I said, love found a way.
1: Mm,
2: mm.
1: That's beautiful. Ah, oh, So um, now there's your, um, what is this? Um, you, you you talk about how um, Catherine's Marissa and Catherine and about how Uh, You you believe that your son was speaking through Catherine? What is that about? Well, she Catherine. um, I call her Catherine the Catholic (laughs) because she's a pretty devout
2: Catholic. Um, And she, I think she found out in her twenties. She had communication skills that maybe you and I don't. (laughs) And uh, so she was actually a back channel that I think the, some of the first responders used because they had 30 square miles right after the mudslide and they didn't know where to start looking for victims. They thought 100, at least 100 people were dead. Oh. Um, one of the firefighters called, one of the retired fire chiefs called one of the others and said, I'm looking at it. There's probably 100 people dead here. There was cars up in trees, right? Um, and um, so anyway, um, she her clues found two of the victims. And um, so someone said you've got to talk with her, get to know her in my, as I was starting to get involved in the search and she does what's called a writing. And she wrote a book called beyond ever after. Um, it's a a story of how she helped a woman whose husband was in a coma, I think at UCLA and she was able to transcribe what he was saying through the coma. And then after he transitioned on, so Captain Weisenberg, she did beyond ever after. It's a wonderful book. She, um, so she would do writings for me. And of course, the first question I'm asking, she'd do this beautiful writing and maybe Jack would pop in like, hi mom. And I'm like, where are you? <laughs> you know, like that was my big question. Yeah. And, um, and he's like, I don't know if I can tell you, it doesn't really work like that, you know, but he was <laughs> trying. Um, yeah. But anyway, that was really, you know, for me and I was, again, unfamiliar with the, the intuitive world, but um, it was really helpful to hear from my husband and my son in spirit. And because the main message they were saying is we're okay Seriously. and we love you. And that was really healing, right? I think they're just at a, at, a, at a frequency we can't see, but we're more than our physical bodies. And I think their soul lives on and they're in pure joy. And, and to hear that um, was probably the most significant in my healing. Right Because all you want is your loved ones to be okay
1: uh-huh. you know it's interesting. Um, you were before this event, you were in the corporate world mm-hmm. and um, everything was sort of you know factual and and with scientists, medicine, and so on, everything was kind of science and and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it must have taken a big le- leap of faith to um, to open yourself up to believing you know, uh, like Catherine was, you know, getting. Yeah, a
2: little bit. Uh, Yeah. I think, yeah, I was filleted open, right? I was filleted open. I was desperate wanting to find my son. I was in desperate grief. And I think that provides a vulnerability to be open to things that maybe you wouldn't be before. And maybe that's a blessing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have the Filters. I, I was just like, okay, I'm going to be, you know, explore this, and I was very careful who I let in my world. Yeah. Um. These people I needed as reputable people, and they proved it by, you know, I mean, Catherine worked with the first responders and found two of the victims, and she's she's a you know mom like anyone else and drives her minivan and she's kind mm-hmm. of on under the radar with her thing because she just wants to just help and um. So I was very careful who I let in my circle, and I'm a pretty good read of people. You know, I was in sales and marketing. I can read people pretty darn well, and uh, I could sense if they felt safe or not, and so I worked with the people who felt safe.
1: Yes, that's that's also an important lesson because people are so vulnerable when there's a tragedy, and unfortunately, <clears throat> there are people who come in. for um, uh, that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes.
2: I know. Oh, people tried. People tried.
1: Um, okay, what what haven't I, what haven't I asked you that you would like to would you to, would you like to tell something about your um, husband and Jack?
2: Yeah, I mean, my husband. You know, gonna, if people want to read the book, it's it's in the book. But I tell some some nice vignettes about my husband and my son. Um, they they I think graduated because they they had done their good works on earth. Uh, my husband was a you know. Uh, very successful executive and medical device, and he also was really involved in the kids' activity and became the scoutmaster for the Montecito Boy Scout Troop. And it was it had dwindled down to two two scouts. You know, there's not as many young kids in, in Montecito. And and when my son when when he was getting into Scouts, some of the moms said, "Will, will you be the scout leader?" And so he said, "Sure." And he really reinvigorated it and energized it. And now I think God, I think there's well over 20. And um, I think 13 of the young men who started with Dave when he was in the Cub Scouts all became Eagle Scouts. And that's unheard of because only 4% of people, Scouts get Eagle Scout and, and everyone that worked with Dave, um, I think in part to honor him, and and to you know yes they all became a lot of work a lot of hard work work. and um and so he was he he was um, a kind patient man and a very loving husband and i miss him dearly um he was really one of the good guys and um my son i think was an old soul at birth and um very uh very uh, a soul that can connect with people and He he lived more in his 17 years than many in 80. He started his own community, co-founded his own uh, community service group, Teens on the Scene, Um, teens going out to help in the community. And it expanded to five five high schools, over 200 teen members. and he refurbished a playground at an elementary school that was a Title I school, and he oh. he did all their basketball nets and everything and repainted the backboards with a great cobalt blue and a dolphin stencil, and the kids came up to him after he did it, and he was only in ninth grade at the time, and oh, wow. he worked all, all Easter weekend, and a little boy came up and said, thank you for making our school pretty again, and um, that's what touched Jack's heart. Um, and he's a big computer gamer. He loved computers, and 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 his friends loved him. He was just, you know, just a terrific kid.
1: Yes, yeah, sounds incredibly special. Doing that at such a by such a young age. Mm-hmm. Well, our time is up. Uh, in terms of your your time is up, I guess. <laughs> well, thank you for having I just me. Come out in the right way, because <laughs> okay. I was almost. Up your time being able to be on the show is up. I appreciate it very much. You really are so inspirational. And again, the name of the book is Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, a true story of hope through unimaginable loss. So Kim Canton, I'd like to thank you so much and I wish you well and I hope that your book continues to be incredibly successful. And uh if there's anything I can do for your daughter if she's interested in psychology, um, as you said, she. she I'll might, tell her, hey, Jamie, <laughs> I'll then, tell her, uh, then let me know.
2: Thank and, you so much. Thanks for having me.
1: And, um, to my listeners, I'm going to be continuing for the rest of the show on my own with some, a prescription for America, uh, take daily to increase resilience and decrease stress. And Kim, I will be sending this uh, show to you. So you will, you will hear that too. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care now. Okay. So we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines.
2: We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are, at home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google.
0: Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn.
2: It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work.
0: Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We have been talking about um, the book that my guest wrote. um, And... uh, I'm going to continue the theme of the show. Again, the title of the show is Montecito True Story How to Find Hope After Unimaginable Loss. And my guest, Kim Canton, did an amazing description of uh, the tragedy that she went through and how she basically bloomed again, you know, like the yellow flowers she and her daughter, despite the loss. So I'd like to continue in that theme and um, tell you, give you some, uh, what I call prescription for America. I actually wrote this uh, during COVID to help people survive COVID. But really, it would it works for any kind of stress, tragedy. Um, this is something where you have to take care of yourself. You know, in other words, not just in terms of uh, increasing immunity so that you don't get COVID, But as far as keeping yourself healthy so that you can cope with whatever tragedy befalls you, because if you're not healthy, it's a lot harder uh, to do things to redevelop your life. You know, like Kim was talking about when she had to start from nothing, uh, even getting an ID and so on. So if you're not healthy, imagine, which, and she did have injuries of course, so it's really important to, to make your, that's sort of the base is to make yourself healthy. So here is the Prescription for America. And it, the, it's an anagram um, where there are tips for each of the letters of the two words, heal myself, H-E-A-L, myself. Okay, so H is for healthy, nutritious food. We often reach for comfort food when times are tough. That's because we're unconsciously longing for the memories that foods like like cookies, chocolate, or pizza stir up. These were the treats our parents gave us as a reward, like when we got an A, or as comfort, like when we lost a game. E is for exercise. Ideally, this would be something you can do in the sunshine, like walking your dog or taking a hike but if you're limited limited by mandated restrictions, that was either the lockdowns or any other restrictions you might have, you can still get exercise by dancing in your living room. A is for aromatherapy. Different aromas can make you feel different emotions. Lavender, for example, relaxes you. Vanilla can make you feel joyful. Jasmine can relieve depression. You can always uplift your mood by putting aromatherapy candles or flowers around your home. L is for laughter. At least one hour a day of laughter does wonders for your mind and body. You can get this by watching sitcoms or romantic comedies or watching cartoons with your kids. Even Googling jokes or YouTube videos can give you life-saving belly laughs. So that's Heal, H-E-A-L. M is for meditation or calming music. Clearing your mind of worries to quietly meditate brings you back to your inner self. Similarly, listening to calming music interrupts the noisiness of the world. Y is for your choice of vitamins and supplements. A daily vitamin that contains C and D and supplements that contain zinc are especially useful in building your immune system to help fight coronavirus and other germs. S is for sleep. Many of us are having trouble falling asleep, getting enough sleep or waking up because of nightmares. But it's important to try to get eight hours of sleep a night to stay healthy. E is for engage with friends and family to support each other, even if by telephone or Zoom. It is extremely important to share your worries with others who can offer you support and to feel good about yourself by supporting them. L is for limit your daily intake of gloom and doom. This means not having radio or TV on 24-7 and not doom scrolling on the internet. F is for follow your passion. Even in lockdown, there are opportunities to follow a passion you never had time to do before when you were scurrying around from work to errands to driving kids to school. So it can be a blessing in disguise to finally be able to write that novel. Contact an old friend or read the books stacked up in the corner. So again, that's uh, the, the words are heal myself, H-E-A-L, heal myself. Uh, and just to run it down again, H is for healthy, nutritious food. E is for exercise. A is for aromatherapy. L is for laughter. M is for meditation or calming music. Y is for your choice of vitamins and supplements. S is for sleep. E is for engage with friends and family to support each other. L is for limit your daily intake of gloom and doom. And F is for follow your passion. So whether it's COVID or uh, a natural disaster or a man-made disaster or any kind of stress, this is what you should do every day. And these are easy things. They don't really cost anything um and uh this is sort of the basis uh the basic things that you should do every day even when there's no coronavirus or no natural or man-made disaster this is how to keep your body and your mind um help, healthy which is you know which the, if you start with a base of having a healthy body and a healthy mind then you can tackle anything so thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's couch I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
0: Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit Voice America.